0: Be thankful for, don't we? We celebrate three years of this local church today and the grand opening of our new buildings. I look back and realize how much God has proven his faithfulness in the life of this ministry and in our lives, certainly as individuals. And I'm so very grateful to be here with you this morning to celebrate him, really, and all that he's doing among us. It's, It's nothing short of amazing. To experience the love and mercy and grace of Christ in your life that we neither deserve or could ever earn on our own. And the truth is, whether or not you're a follower of Christ, whether or not you recognize it even, we're all on the receiving end of God's love and mercy and grace. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he's kind to the grateful, the ungrateful and the evil. Luke 6 35. And in math, Matthew 5 45, he said, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the truth is believers and unbelievers alike experience the benefit of God's love and mercy and grace uh, by default, at least to an extent. However, If you want to see God's promises fulfilled in your life, as we've seen consistently now for these past three years, that's a whole different story. We talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, that although God's love for us may well be unconditional, His promises to us are anything but unconditional. In fact, there are all kinds of conditions attached to God's promises. John 3, 16, you probably know it. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son... That whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, there's a condition attached to the promise of eternal life. We must believe. 1 Peter 3 7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, if we want God to pay any heed to our prayers, men, we must. Honor our wives. That's a condition attached to God receiving our prayers. In Matthew 6 14, Jesus said, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So forgiveness is a promise, but it's conditional. We must forgive in order to be forgiven. John eight, thirty-one and thirty-two, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you want to experience freedom from guilt and shame and and the sin that enslaves us, we must abide in, we must uh, be guided by and obedient to the teachings of Christ. 1 Peter 5.5, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, if you want your life to be characterized by God's grace, you must be humble. The point is there are conditions That must be met if we want God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives. And this morning we're going to talk about one of those promises in particular and the condition that is attached to it. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Jesus taught his disciples that one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who's dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, if we want God to entrust us with what Jesus calls true riches, if we want to experience the true purpose and real fulfillment, which, by the way, I'm convinced that everyone is looking for in this life, that kind of fulfillment only comes when we realize, when when we satisfy the role that God created us for. If we're going to experience that kind of fulfillment, then we must be faithful, as Jesus said. If we're not faithful when we have little, we will not be faithful when we have much. And so we're going to talk about being faithful uh, this morning. We're gonna talk about what it looks like for this church going forward, and as individuals, when we're faithful. I spent many years, actually, pretty unhappy uh, with what I was doing with my life. I wasn't unhappy in my marriage. I wasn't unhappy with my family at all, but I was very unhappy with myself because I knew that I was not fulfilling the role that God had created me for. And it was only when I actually decided to do something about that, to be faithful with what uh, He'd given me and, and to be obedient to my calling, it was only then that He began to entrust me with something more. And I'll tell you more about that a little later. But when you begin to live your life that way, being consistently faithful with the little things that he gives you not perfect not by any stretch but faithful when you begin to live that way consistently there is an exponential effect that happens in your life because the more faithful that you are with what you have the more that he gives you to be faithful with before you know it as you live that way your life will go places that you never imagined I'm a first-hand witness to that you'll experience fulfillment that you never dreamed of and I want everyone to experience that kind of fulfillment in their lives so we're going to talk about what it means to be faithful this morning and if you're a regular part of this uh, congregation you know that we've been working our way through the book of Daniel for about the past eight weeks and we're right at the halfway point right in the middle uh, where the story shifts from narratives little vignettes about Daniel's life and experiences into his prophetic visions and so I thought it appropriate this morning to pause that series before we get into the prophetic visions that Daniel had and we're going to just spend a little time today talking a bit about our journey as a three-year-old church and where we've come from and where we're going and we'll do that of course as always in the context of what God's Word says about us not so much about what I say about us because listen this church isn't about a pastor it isn't about a, a brand It isn't about a building even. It isn't about a program. It's not even about good works. Even though all of those things can and should be used as tools to build his church, but at the end of the day, this church is about Jesus Christ and making him famous. That is, and it will always be the focus at Upcountry Church because that's ultimately what he created us for. Do you know that we exist to bring him glory? And so in praying about this day... And really seeking God for what he would have me to say to you this morning, I found myself drawn to the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians because the Ephesian church was not only one of the Apostle Paul's church plants, one of the churches that he started on his journeys, but he spent three years there establishing that church from AD 52 till AD 55. And so for the Ephesians, Paul was not only a missionary, but he was very much a pastor to them, He was with them day in and day out for three years. And I think it's compelling and instructive to read that letter that he wrote to the church that he spent three years establishing and pastoring as we celebrate the three year mark of this church today. And I think you're going to find it encouraging and probably quite relevant as we focus on the first two chapters specifically this morning in a message entitled Faithful, Three Years and Counting. So let's turn there now to the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible... Uh, we'll put it on the screens as well if you'd prefer to read it that way. And just remember, this, uh, what we call the book of Ephesians, is actually a letter that Paul wrote to his church. And what do you do when you get a letter in the mail? You sit down, open it up, and you read through it, right? And then if it's from somebody you like, you might go back and, and revisit and reflect on a few of those parts that may be your favorite parts. We're going to kind of do that this morning because that's the way this is intended to be read. So, we're going to read through uh, each chapter fairly quickly, one at a time, and then we'll go back and see what we can learn about the early church in Ephesus and maybe about upcountry church and travelers rest as well, okay? So, let's read Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And if you're an English major, the run-on sentence is probably driving you crazy, but just hang with them. This is Paul. And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Paul sets out in this first chapter of his letter to the church to establish, first of all, what the church is. He makes it very clear that followers of Jesus Christ are united together by his spirit to form the church, of which Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. In fact, in verse 22, Paul quotes Psalm 8, 6, which identifies Christ as the head of the church. Jesus is the senior pastor of his church, if you will. And he identifies with us so intimately that he refers to us as his body, just as Adam described Eve as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh in Genesis 2, 23, just as God declared man and wife to be one flesh in Genesis 2, 24. So we, the church are identified as the body of Christ. Okay. We are his body. And so with the identity of the church clearly established as his body, Jesus himself, Paul carries two reoccurring themes throughout the entire chapter in regards to the church. First is God's predestined will for us. He talks about it in verses four and five, in verse nine, in verse 10, in verse 11, over and over again. Paul says that God has predestined for us, pre-planned ahead of time, this moment, which means that he has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us, long before we were ever born. That's a fact. And so Paul points this out to the church in Ephesus that their church was a part of God's plan for those people, for them, before any of them ever knew anything about a church in Ephesus. Before they were ever born, God planned for there to be a a church in Ephesus and for them to be a part of it. And likewise, I'd like to point out to all of us this morning that this church upcountry church has been God's plan for us from the beginning. This church is a part of God's plan for us. And, And by the way, it has always been his plan, not my plan, not your plan, not even some church planting organization's plan. I know that we love to take credit for accomplishments. I'll be the first to admit that it feels really good to point to something and say, look what I did. But the hard truth is this church was God's plan from the beginning before any of us knew anything about an upcountry church. So he gets all of the credit. He gets all of the accolades. He gets all of the praise because it's all his doing, you see. And yet in all of that, in his sovereign predestined plan for us. As Paul puts it, we have a responsibility to be faithful to that plan that he created for each one of us. That goes for your life as individuals as well. We get to choose whether or not we're going to be faithful to God's plan for our lives. And it's always interesting to me to look back over past experiences in my life that maybe took me by surprise or maybe created some difficulty for me and see how they end up fitting into God's plan weeks or months or even years later, even though at the time I couldn't possibly see how those circumstances could be a part of God's plan for my life. Most of you uh, have probably experienced something similar. And many of you know the story that that Pastor Chris alluded to of us going to Alaska. We were um, flourishing here with a couple of small businesses that were doing quite well. My wife and I and family, years ago, we owned three homes. We had a beautiful office up on Highway 11 in the mountains. We had lots of nice stuff, new cars, all the things that you want materially. If we wanted a weekend away, we'd fly to Manhattan. My wife and I would go see a Broadway play, hang out in the city and come back. It was really nice, except I was really unhappy because I wasn't fulfilling the role that God had created me for. And so you know the story. We ended up taking a position in Alaska and we, we flew up there 5,000 miles away, realized quickly we had to sell everything that we owned in order to live there. It's an expensive place to live. Our income was about a fifth of what it was here. But we did that and we went into full-time ministry and we were thriving. And we were there for several years, ended up going to England to seminary. Uh, crazy story and most of you, know it but then we moved back here because God told us to come back to travelers rest and plan a church right where we started and so we renovated that old building across the street for about six months and then we had our grand opening service three years ago this week I'll never forget it people flew in from all over the place friends from Alaska Arkansas California Georgia We had people from all over came in we had well over a hundred people this great crowd But we knew that almost all of them were from out of town and they were just visiting. And so the second week, the idea of planting a church became very real because all those people went home. And so there we were, I walked up to the pulpit and I stood in front of about 30 people. Now keep in mind, I've sold all my stuff, cars, boats, motorcycles, RVs, it's gone. I have no income. No one's paying me at this point, there's no money. We're basically broke. We cashed in our any retirement funds we had, our savings. We literally sold furniture and guitars and guns to be able to do this. And I'm standing there in front of 30 people with nothing left to my name hardly. And I'm looking out at this little church and I remember thinking, "God, if you had told me before we left that you wanted me to start a church in Travelers Rest, I could have done it." before we left, and I'd still have all my stuff. I mean, honestly, why make us go through all of that to come right back where we started and plant a church? But the truth is, I never would have done it. I never would have taken that step of faith. You see, it was God's plan all along, from before I was born, to plant a church and pastor a church in Traveler's Rest but I had to go to Alaska and England and a few places in between to get back here where he wanted me to be from the beginning. And now I look back and I can see how all of those experiences prepared me for this. And yet without them, I I probably never would have been able to do it. You see, God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you as a part of this church. You're in his plan. This is a part of it. And it's the exact picture that Paul is trying to paint for his friends in Ephesus, that God's plan for you is all worked out ahead of time. We just have to decide if we're going to be faithful in following his plan. You may not be able to see what's coming tomorrow, but he can because he's already figured it out we just have to be faithful we have to get with his program and that's the theme the first theme at least that runs through chapter one the second reoccurring theme that we see in this chapter is Paul repeatedly lauding the Ephesian church he's commending them he's applauding them for their faithfulness why because they said yes to God's plan for them right from the beginning of chapter one he says to the Saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus and the word faithful there in the the original Greek language is the word pestos it means trustworthy okay several times throughout the chapter Paul refers to their faithfulness their trustworthiness it runs all through the chapter these were faithful people look they weren't perfect people they had problems just like we do but they were faithful people even when they messed up they get back in line with God's plan faithful trustworthy people and Paul's saying to them well done you have been faithful and if you read the, the entire chapter in the ancient greek it's funny because verses three all the way to 14 is one long run-on sentence there are literally no stops no periods for 12 straight verses in the original language the way that paul wrote it it's as if paul's heart was so overflowing with adulation, admiration, love for these people and and their faithfulness that he couldn't help but get it all out. So he just blah, and he lets it all out on the page. And yet, even though he's commending these people for their faithfulness, he's giving all the praise for that faithfulness to God. It's beautiful. Verses 15 and 16, he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. But notice when he what he does with that in verses in 18 and 19. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, according to his doing. You see, even even the credit for our own faithfulness goes to God. Because at the end of the day, it's all his doing. And so just as Paul spoke these words of encouragement over the church in Ephesus, I want to say to you this morning, Upcountry Church, well done. You've been faithful. Well done. And I don't say that as some kind of, you know, gratuitous pat on the back. Not at all. Because in the end, God gets all the glory. But just as Paul commended his church... For their faithfulness, I want to commend you today for yours. You have been so faithful with the little things. And I firmly believe that is why we're sitting in this building today. Understand it's not about the building. These facilities are are tools that he has given us and trusted us with because we've been faithful with the things that we started with. And so he's giving us more to work with because you've proven yourselves faithful, trustworthy. As Paul says, it was difficult at times uh, to do the things that were on our hearts to do. Those 30 people that I was talking about, most of you are sitting here right now. You remember how difficult it was to do some of the things that we did from day one in our little building a block away. But for three years, that hasn't stopped you. Without always having adequate space or facilities or money or resources, I've watched you day in and day out faithfully carry out the ministry that we've been called to and charged with. And as a result, over the past three years, we, we published a book that has literally been making its way into homes around the country, into the prison systems in our state and others where it's being read. And the result is that people literally far and wide around the country have given their lives to Christ. And the publishing company of that book said, we never publish these books for churches as small as yours. they can't afford it. We formed ministries that couldn't always fit in our little buildings, so you just took them into your homes and out into the community so that you could make disciples of Christ in spite of our lack of adequate space. Just a young, small church, and yet you've met so many really big needs over the past three years. You've sent missionaries around the world into places unreached for Christ. You've sent Bibles into places where people are starved For the word of God, you've met needs within our own body. I've watched you fix cars and houses, provide food and clothing and furniture and medicine for other people, paid bills for those who couldn't, prepared meals for the sick and comfort for those who were hurting. In fact, we even built a barn for a family that needed it. Every single time there has been a need you've given To that need without hesitation and without question when I've asked you to give you give You have faithfully and selflessly ministered to this neighborhood out here that we live in To the point that we're beginning to see what I firmly believe will become a complete transformation of it for the sake of Christ Well done Well done you have been faithful and because of it we've now been given more Why? Why give us more when we're faithful? It's so that we can do more of what we've already been doing. So buckle your seatbelts because there's much to be done. Okay? There's an expectation, a condition in fact, that goes along with what we've been given, which is exactly the territory that Paul wades into in chapter 2 of his letter to the Ephesians. So let's quickly read through that. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That was a term of derision by the Jews to the Gentiles, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So after explaining to the Christians in Ephesus that their church is God's plan for them, and after commending them for their faithfulness in chapter 1, Paul spends most of this second chapter reminding them where they came from. He says, don't forget where you started. The first two uh, verses, he reminds them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. And then in 4 and 5, he says, but you've been made uh, alive together with Christ. In verse 12, he says, remember that you were separated from Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then verse 19, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, meaning you once were strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he starts his letter explaining that their church is all a part of God's plan for them and he commends them for being so faithful and then he reminds them, hey guys, don't forget where you started. Paul says we cannot ever forget where we came from and interestingly enough, if you've ever heard the phrase God helps those who help themselves, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. Uh, It's actually in in the idiom. It's a common uh, saying from the ancient Greek culture that Paul was living in. And so Paul's making a point to these Gentiles who lived by that creed that the opposite is actually true. He says God helps the helpless. God helps those who cannot help themselves, which, incidentally, was every single one of us before Christ. In other words, don't forget where you started so in your faithfulness as God's plan unfolds in your life just remember that none of this happens without him because without him we're utterly incapable of accomplishing anything good in our lives or anyone else's for that matter and then in the final three verses of chapter two Paul makes one final point to his friends in Ephesus he says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These last three verses are easily a sermon unto themselves, and we don't have time for that. But first of all, they directly confront this very Western idea uh, that most of us hold to of of rugged individualism. Uh, That's an idea that we champion in our culture. Maybe even in segments of the modern faith community in our country today, we've relegated in many cases the church to a back seat, second in importance to our individual calling and purpose and mission. But hear me, our calling and purpose and mission is the church. The church is God's primary agent for representing Christ in this world. If you're a Christian, you're not only called to be a part of the church, you are the church. Along with the rest of the worldwide fellowship of believers, you cannot separate yourself from it and you cannot be effective as a Christ follower without it. God chose the church to be the body of Jesus Christ. You cannot separate a body from its head. It cannot function properly without all of the parts coming together. I love what Tony Morita said about Christians. He said to be separate from the church is to say, I want to be a stone apart from a building or a son or daughter separated from my family, or a refugee away from my country. Many people treat the church as something that is unnecessary, unimportant, or even a hindrance to doing great things for God. The truth is, we simply cannot view the church as optional with the idea that maybe we'll stick around as long as the preaching is good or the music is the way we like it or the programs fit our needs. No, the the church... Is the body that we belong to. And we will never be able to function the way that God intended us to without remaining a part of it. With that in mind, understanding how critical it is that we remain active in the body of believers, Paul makes one final point in this last verse. He says, In him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He didn't say, You have been built together into this church now he says you are being built together into the church in other words this wasn't some kind of three-year project that was a great success so thanks for being faithful give yourselves a pat on the back for a job well done and now you can get on with the rest of your life working out your individual calling now Paul's saying hey guys we're off to a great start but this is just the beginning The three years that I spent with you was just a start when Jesus gave us his great commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples. He was talking about building his church. This is our job. This is our calling, our purpose, our challenge, our mission to live out the gospel, which never changes in the midst of our culture, which constantly changes. And when we do that faithfully, according to his plan, never forgetting where we started, then we will witness him adding to our numbers, building his church. And you will then find your place. You will then find your purpose Because you will then be faithfully living out the plan that he created for your life as a part of the church. And yet there's nothing that will kill that quicker than when we begin to believe that we've somehow arrived. That we've reached our destination. We finally made it into this building or that building. We finally reached that certain number of people in our church. We finally have enough staff or money or Recognition to coast on our accomplishments. The moment we begin to believe that we've somehow arrived as a local church, that's usually the beginning of the end. You see, the time to let up doesn't ever come in this life. This life is a blip on the radar of eternity. And since what we do here, reverberates for all of eternity there can be no let up not as long as there are lost people I'll tell you this past three years has been tremendous and it is just the beginning moving into these new buildings is wonderful but it's just the beginning of the next chapter for upcountry church guys we cannot let up now There's far too much at stake. There is so much to be done. We're completely surrounded by people stumbling through life in a spiritual stupor with no idea why they're even here to begin with. The gospel never takes a break, and so neither should we. God's truth is always at work, breaking down barriers and healing deep wounds, redeeming the lost, snatching people from the fire. The good news of the gospel sets people free it liberates prisoners who often don't even realize that they're in captivity. And here we are, outside of those prison walls, walking around freely with the keys to the prison doors. The keys that set people free. How could we ever think it's okay to wait until tomorrow when there are people dying inside that prison today? No, we, we must be ever vigilant and living out the gospel, offering freedom to every single person that he places in our path. This is our calling. This is our mission. This is our plan. And we're just getting started. Our work has just begun. And we have our work cut out for us without doubt. But it's not an impossible task. And no part of it is insurmountable as long as we remain faithful. I'm completely convinced, I'm completely convinced the older I get that every person searches at some point in their life for their purpose, their ultimate fulfillment. And that cannot be found outside of the will of God. And the will of God for every single one of us is to be a part of his body. And so just as Paul reminds us his church plant in Ephesus, I'm here to remind us this morning that if you're a part of this church, first of all, that was God's plan for you before this church ever existed. You're right where God wants you right now. And you're to be commended for your faithfulness because many, many lives have been eternally changed because of your faithfulness and as long as we always remember where we came from and we never let up on the work that is before us as a church as a body as a family then this ministry will continue to grow and impact the world in ways that we probably can't even imagine today so here we are my most faithful friends Three years and counting. I love you deeply. And we're off to a good start.